Good morning. I'm Ian. I'm uh, Pastor Nikki's husband, and I get to read from Ezekiel today. So um, I thought I might be, you know, in the Gospels, but no, we're Ezekiel. So we're going from Ezekiel 47. If you want to follow along in your pew Bible, it's page 717. Okay, I'll give you a sack. Ezekiel 47, uh, going from verse 1 to verse 6. And I checked with Andrew. That is what he's going to speak about today. He's not just tricking me. So, the man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outside or to the outer gate facing east and the water was trickling from the south side as the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through the through water that was ankle deep he measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep he measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist he measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. Thank you, Ian, for opening the word of God to us this morning. And thank you, worship team, for leading us so well in, in worship. As we begin, uh, why don't we pray together? Lord Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen and ascended Lord, we ask that in this moment, as we explore your word, that you would send your spirit upon us. For we cannot understand what we've just read without your spirit illumining our hearts and minds to receive what it is you would say to us. And I pray that as you speak this morning, we would respond with faith and trust and with commitment to follow you with our whole lives. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You might be wondering why we're reading Ezekiel this morning. We have been in a series in the Gospel of Luke that is going to be taking us over uh, uh, probably a few years, but in preparation for Pentecost, we thought we would do a mini-series called The River. Pentecost is the Sunday on June 9th where we're going to remember and celebrate that after uh, Jesus died and rose again and after he ascended, that the Holy Spirit, God's personal spirit, was sent out on the church to empower those uh, scared and feeble disciples to share Jesus and to continue his work of sending the good news of the kingdom forth into the earth. So in preparation for that, uh, we are gonna be in this series. And, and you might be interested to know that in the Bible there's a few different images for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is likened to wind or breath. That's actually what the, the Greek and Hebrew words for spirit mean. The spirit is the breath of God. And that's a symbol for the Holy Spirit as the creator and sustainer of life. I mean, just think about it. Can, can you be alive and not be breathing? 
No, <laughs> if you're not breathing, you're not alive. It's like that. The spirit is fundamental to human existence. He sustains life. Fire is another symbol used in scriptures to talk about the spirit. So, uh, and, it, and it symbolizes the sanctifying or, or, or the purifying work in, hi- in our lives. And it's also a symbol of empowerment. So on Pentecost, we're going to see that when the disciples were gathered together praying, they hear a rushing wind. And in Acts chapter 2, it says that there were tongues like fire appearing over them. And they were filled with the Spirit to then share the good news of Jesus in the various languages that were gathered in Jerusalem. The Spirit is likened to a dove. The Spirit is likened to oil. The Spirit is likened to a seal. Not the animal, but but hot wax that that you uh, put over an envelope and press in. And in this series, we're considering the symbol of water. It's a symbol of the Spirit's regenerative and renewing work in our lives that he brings refreshment and renewal to dry and weary people, which empowers us for joyful witness to Jesus. So before we dive in, I just want to clear the air a bit about the Holy Spirit, because for some of us, when we hear the words Holy Spirit, different things happen in each of us. Some of us feel totally peaceful. We've cultivated a relationship with the Spirit, and that's good. But some of us have fear. Some of us have anxiety. Some of us have uncertainty. Some of you who are new Christians are like, what is this Holy Spirit? And and why do I need it to follow Jesus? And one of the hopes that I have for this series is that it's going to help you move from from wherever you are in, in your relationship with the Spirit to a place of receptivity and delight in the person and work of the Holy Spirit in your own life. In one of the church's ancient confessions, the Nicene Creed, it says this about the Holy Spirit. And this is a creed where the early church fathers went to Scripture and they were wrestling with, okay, what does the Scripture say about the Gospel? What does the Scripture say about who God is? And this is what it says. That we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. Yesterday was May the 4th. And apparently, I learned this, I didn't know this, that it was Star Wars Day. Did anyone else learn that yesterday? <laughs> so, so, Star Wars, it, it's, it's this series of movies, um, and, and the big tagline from Star Wars is What? May the force be with you. So they're being funny. May the fourth. (laughs) Why am I sharing this with you? So in Star Wars, the force is this energy that the characters tap into to empower them. And sometimes it seems like in the church, we have a Star Wars theology of the Holy Spirit that the spirit is treated as an impersonal force. Because in the mystery of the Holy Spirit, when we, when we think about his, him, we're often at a loss. And so we grasp for a modern idiom and we go, oh, the spirit, it's like the force in Star Wars. But it's not. So what we learn, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. Think about that, the Lord. 
He's not an impersonal force. The Spirit is a person. The Spirit is a person with personality and relational capacity. The Bible is clear. We see at various times in the scriptures that the Spirit thinks. The Spirit wills. The Spirit feels. And the Spirit acts. That's that's stuff that a person does. The Spirit is not an impersonal force to be wielded. Rather, the Spirit is a person to be known. And he's a person to be worshipped. If you're taking notes right now when you were wondering what to write down, that was it. Um, the Holy Spirit is a person to be known and worshipped. And I, I think that's important to keep in mind as we are in a series exploring the image of the river, lest we think that like water, the Spirit is an inanimate force or object. Secondly, what we learn for the Spirit to be Lord means that he is a divine person. He, he's a different kind of person in that he doesn't have a body like the sun or like us, but he is spirit, but he is God, okay? He is Lord as the Father is Lord. He is Lord as the Son is Lord. He is co-eternal with the Father and the Son and they share the same being. He's not the errand boy of the Trinity. He is equal in power equal in glory, equal in deity. He's the third person of the Godhead. There are volumes more we could say about the person and work of the Spirit, but to just start us off, anytime we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we are talking about a divine person who is to be known and worshipped. The passage that Ian and Shervon read for us from Ezekiel brings us to the end of a vision that Ezekiel, and if you're wondering who Ezekiel was, he was a priest in in Israel. Actually, he wasn't in Israel. He was a priest of Israel who was taken into exile in Babylon. Because of Israel's idolatry and and injustice, they had been taken over by an enemy nation. And so people were carried away to exile in Babylon. And in chapter 33 of Ezekiel, we read, of the greatest disaster to ever happen in Israel's history. Jerusalem, the city, had been under siege and Jerusalem fell. And the temple was destroyed. And Ezekiel lived through these dark times. He lived through this huge disaster. And Ezekiel himself, he's in in Babylon. He's way out east, not in his own land. Uh, They're subservient to the Babylonians. And people are wondering, has God abandoned us? Has God left us? Are his promises gonna come to nothing? And so God used Ezekiel to speak to Israel. Uh, And he uses Ezekiel to convict Israel of its rebellion to make it clear that, hey guys, you know, the reason this happened, this disaster, is actually because of us. Because we weren't faithful to God. But Ezekiel is also full of hope. Because it turns out that God hasn't given up on his people. Through Ezekiel, God tells of his promise of a future beyond the disaster of exile. A future of renewal where the the things that are dead, the things that are dry, will be made alive again and will be refreshed. 
And our text is part of this section of hope. It's part of a larger section from chapter 40 onwards where Ezekiel is having a vision of a new temple. And uh, Ezekiel 40 to 46, it's like all measurements. It's like they're doing this tour of the temple. He's got this angelic tour guide and they're measuring everything. And so we have this diagram. We can see this temple, what Ezekiel is seeing. And something strange starts to happen in our text. As the tour is coming to an end, they, they come into this area here, just outside kind of the inner temple. This was called the inner court. And something strange starts to happen. Uh, Ezekiel sees water. He sees water coming out from under the threshold of the temple. So water is coming out from here. And he's like, what's going on here? And you're wondering, you know, uh, what, like, was this an accident? Was this a burst pipe? He, he's starting to see this water flow out. And it's meant to be there. <laughs> this is no accident. This water has a purpose. And then what happens in, in, in the text we read, Ezekiel is brought out by the north gate and he comes around with the messenger here and he, he watches the river as it flows out, as it continues to flow out in an easterly direction. And in verses three to five, in verses one and two, we see that the source of this river is the temple. In verses three to five, we see the size of this river. The tour guide takes him along to, t- to take measurements of the river. They walk downstream a thousand cubits in English, please. Um, in, in your Bible, there's a little footnote. It says about 500 meters. So, so they go 500 meters across the course of the river, and then they take a sounding of the depth, right? Ezekiel walks out into the river, and, and it's up to his ankles. They go another 500 meters. He walks out. Now it's up to his knees. Another 500 meters, and the river is up to his waist. And then in another 500 meters... It's a river that can't be crossed. It's deep enough to swim in. And then in verse six, the man says to Ezekiel, son of man, human, do you see this? Do you see this? And then he's led back to the bank of the river. So the question I want to ask, and that you might be wondering, what's Ezekiel supposed to see? What is the point of this? What is Ezekiel supposed to see? Let's take a look at verse two. Notice in verse two that the water was trickling from the south side. At its source, the water is a trickle, okay? Now, some of your translations, the NIV says the water was trickling. Some other translations say the water was coming out or there ran out waters, the water's flowing out. But, but the word there. Is, is really the word of a trickle that would come from like a small vial or a flask. And, and this gives us an idea of how much water exactly was flowing out. There are lots of other words to use for, for, to denote flowing of water, and this is the only time this specific word is used in Scripture. And the Hebrew dictionary says this, It pertains to a flowing motion 
of a relatively small amount of liquid. This is an important detail. It, it means that the trickle was probably, Peter, I'm sorry if I spill. Um, the trickle was probably something like this. Okay, that's not a ton of water. If I was pouring it onto the stage, Peter would say, yeah, that's, that's enough. We don't, need to, we don't need water damage here. But it, it's not a ton of water, right? It's the size that you could drink from that, right? I, don't picture the fire hydrant being opened, right? It, it's a trickle. And what's crazy about this story, what, what Ezekiel is meant to see is what happens next, that the, the trickle moves out from the temple and it expands and grows at an absurd rate. Right? Like, water molecules don't just reproduce like that. <laughs> something unnatural is happening, and you might say something supernatural is happening to this river, to this trickle that has all of a sudden become a river that you can't cross on foot, that you can swim in, in the course of two kilometers? That is not normal. And the trickle becomes a river because of miraculous growth. That's not normal. It is miraculous. Now I want us to think about this and apply it to our lives. I'm going to say something, and if you agree with me, you can respond with a hearty amen. Life isn't easy. Okay. Good. <laughs> the world is a hard place. Life in the world can be full of dryness and weariness. Some of you carry burdens that you feel are just crushing you. Some of you are in seasons of dryness and you wonder, how on earth am I going to come out of this? And we know that thirst is real. It's not just a physical thirst for water, but that deeper thirst, what we, what we might call a spiritual thirst for refreshment and renewal. We long for connection with something bigger than us that, that can make sense of our small part in the world. We long for that connection and meaning. We long for something that can give us hope and joy and sustain and empower us in the midst of the dryness. What, what we have, what every human being has, whether they recognize it or not, is, is a thirst for God. David says in Psalm 63, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. And then he says this, he says, I thirst for you. My whole being, being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Can you resonate with that? In a dry and parched land where there is no water. Jesus himself talked about this thirst. In John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39, 
which is a key text that is informing this series and it is, fla- is flavoring how we are reading these Old Testament passages. Jesus, on the last and greatest day of the festival, that was the festival of booths, he stood up and he said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this he meant the spirit, John tells us whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And what we see going on here is Jesus is is taking a page from Ezekiel and he's bringing it into his moment and saying, this is about me. That what Ezekiel was seeing about this river flowing from the temple It's about him. That when we believe in Jesus, the spirit indwells you. He indwells the believer and he makes living water come in you and and, and from within you, through you, to the world. The spirit regenerates us. He revives us. He renews us to follow Jesus and live for him. And as we think about Ezekiel's temple vision and how this river flows from the temple, you might be here this morning and you're wondering where to go. Where do I go with with that thirst, with this longing that I have? And what we see here as Jesus takes that image and applies it to himself. I mean, already in John's gospel in chapter two, Jesus has already put himself forward as the new temple, as the new place where humanity and God meet and as the source of God's presence among us. So if you're here this morning and you're wondering where to go, go to Jesus. Come to Jesus and drink. Christ is our source. He is God with us. He reveals the Father to us and he brings us to the Father. Jesus says in John's gospel that anyone who has seen him has seen the Father. And what Ezekiel is seeing in his temple vision, that great future of a new temple filled with the glory of God where Israel's worship is renewed, that future is upon us in Christ. That's like here now. The kingdom is in breaking now. For anyone who is thirsty, come, Jesus says. Come to me and drink. And that's a standing invitation for you today that you can act on. Secondly, as we think of how this relates to our lives, I want us to consider that growth dynamic of the spirit in our lives. So that huge river that that Ezekiel can't cross, remember it began as a trickle. It began as this small amount of water. And I wanna say that in our lives, as we follow Jesus and as we cultivate our relationship with the spirit, that he works in a similar way with us that yes, we have moments of glory 
where the Spirit confronts us with the good news of Jesus and it just wrecks us or it shatters our paradigms and it changes our life in life-shaking ways. But often he is at work in the small things. Think about the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, we see these things that the Spirit produces in our lives, which really, if if you think about those words, it's Jesus, right? It's the character of the risen Lord. But just look at those. Think about it. How does God produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in us? Does he zap us with a bolt of lightning? <laughs> Boom, it's done. Are we computers that he just like plugs, plugs us in, does the update, and we're good to go? No. These things are formed in us through the circumstances of our life where we're given opportunity to grow in them, right? It's like you want to grow in self-control. Well, guess what? God's going to put you in circumstances where you are going to have the choice to, to, to learn to control and discipline yourself. So what are some examples? So when you catch yourself about to have like an outburst of rage, okay, for me, it's almost on a daily basis. I've got three kids, five, three, and one. <sighs> That's huge. When you catch yourself about to have that outburst and you turn away from it, you, you have this little moment of repentance in that moment. That's the spirit at work in you. When you move to forgive someone instead of trying to get even with them, that's the work of the spirit. That's the trickle of the stream. When you learn to, to see your faults instead of ignoring them and you apologize for when you indulge them. That moment when you decide to put your spouse's needs before your own. That moment when you decide to turn away from the computer screen because you know at that moment you are vulnerable and you shouldn't be surfing the web. When you choose to to speak a kind word instead of a poisonous one. And you might think, oh, those are are insignificant and trivial. Oh, the real work of the Spirit is only happening elsewhere. The inbreaking kingdom is coming with power elsewhere in some glamorous way. But I submit to you that the small ways we yield to the Spirit and obey Jesus are not insignificant. And that the most stunning and supernatural work of the Holy Spirit is actually to take sinful, selfish, God-hating human beings and make them like Jesus. To to take what we were and what we sometimes choose to become again. To take us and make us like Christ. That is the most stunning and miraculous work of the Spirit. And as the character of Jesus expands in your life, you become, you're going to become a person who experiences refreshment, who experiences the living waters. And guess what? When you look about the fruit of the Spirit and you think about someone in your life who displays those, is that person not a refreshment to you? 
do we not become vessels of the river flowing out to other people as God does this work in our lives? I just want to encourage you in your daily life, don't underestimate those small acts of love and obedience. The trickle becomes a river by the miraculous work of the Spirit. I want to mention one last thing before we land the plane and come to the table. And that's just the way to the river. What is the way to the river? In other words, how does the gift of the Spirit come to us? We mentioned that Jesus is the source, but I think we can get more specific. In John 7, in the rest of the New Testament, it's clear that God gives his Spirit to those who believe in Jesus. That is, uh, uh, that to those who trust in him as their Savior and Lord, God doesn't give his Spirit to his enemies. He gives it to his children, to his friends. So we first, there's something that needs to happen. If, if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, there's something that needs to happen before you can experience these waters. And if you are a Christian, you, you've got to remember something did happen. Something life-changing. That you were brought from being outside of the love of God and the peace of God and you were rescued you were reconciled to God through the atoning sacrifice of Christ. That's the way to the river. It's just the, it's the gospel, plain and simple. John Chrysostom brought this home as he preached on the gift of the Spirit many centuries ago. He said, since we were enemies and had sinned and had fallen short of the gift of God and we were haters of God and since a gift is not given to those who are hated, right? You, you generally don't give a gift to someone you don't like. But a gift is given to friends, to those have, who have been well-pleasing. Then he says this, it was therefore necessary that the sacrifice should first be offered for us, that the enmity, our hostility against God, which was in us, should be done away with, that we should become friends of God and so receive the gift. And I think that's why Ezekiel mentions that the river passes beside the altar. The altar was this huge structure, about 10 feet high, 30 feet square. Imagine a huge cube in the middle of this room. And what the altar was is when you came to God, you would bring a sacrifice, you would bring an animal. And what you would do is you would bring it to the altar and guess what? This is just crazy. In Israel, it wasn't the priests who killed the animal. It was the person bringing the offering. You would bring this animal that cost you something and you would lay your hand on it and you would kill it. And, you know, we're city slickers, we're not farmers. We are, that is just beyond my comprehension. But here's the point. The altar was the place where you learned the cost of your wrongdoing, right? Imagine having to take an animal and kill it with the understanding that it's because of me that this creature had to die, right? My, my sin did this. That would be a formative experience. 
wouldn't it? The altar is the place where we acknowledge the costliness of our sin and the river passes first beside it, Ezekiel mentions. But the altar was also the place of God's acceptance. That because of this sacrifice, atonement has been made and this is the place where God accepts you, where he forgives you for what you've done. In Ezekiel 43, just before our passage, it says, at the end of these days, the priests are present to present your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings on the altar. And then I will accept you, declares the sovereign Lord. Isn't that good news? Then I will accept you. The river passes the altar the place of atonement and forgiveness and acceptance. And it means this for us. There is no presence or power of the Spirit in our lives until we take the atoning death of Jesus as the complete and sufficient offering for our own sin and our own rebellion. There's no presence of the Spirit unless we first do that. And that's what this table is about. This table is sometimes called an altar. And it's not called that because we are somehow supposed to bring a new sacrifice. That's been done. At this table, we remember and and we rehearse the once and for all sacrifice that was made for our sin and for the sin of the world. That Jesus died on a Roman cross. And it's through his sacrifice that we receive the washing of rebirth and renewal. In other words, the water and the blood go together. The water and the blood go together. And if you're a Christian this morning, we need to like hear the gospel again. (laughs) That's already true of you. You, you have the trickle of the river in you if you believe in Jesus. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, I've been saying it over and over again, the invitation is open. Come to Jesus. Trust him as your righteousness, as the one who makes you acceptable to God. As we behold the cross of Jesus, we remember the cost of our sin. And we get to celebrate that because Jesus offered himself, we can receive God's acceptance and live and experience the renewing power of the Holy Spirit. I want to close by reading a few lines of poetry from one of my favorite bands. And then we're going to come to the table. I invite you, if you want to close your eyes, whatever helps you listen. I want us to hear this. I come to you, my one and only. I promise not to turn my eyes again. And yes, I know we're but a breath, but I want to taste and see and feel you nonetheless. Yes, the years they keep on turning, and I'm battered, but I'm burning for you, Lord. I want to wake and feel your glory. I want to speak in tongues of angels for you, Lord. I want to sing a song eternal. 
I want to trample on the curses of the earth. I want to call upon your healing. I want to see the sick and weary be made new. I want to swim in the blessings. I want to swim in the blessings of the Lord. So have my heart, dry and dusty though it be, and these lungs tired from calling out to thee, will you come now and make your home? May we drink the cup of life and overflow. Amen? Amen. I want to invite those who are serving communion to come and the worship team as well as we are led to the table.